Hello, welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm Andy Clef. Joining today are two guests, David Hawks, founder and CEO of Path to Agility, and Seth Ely, Senior Product Manager at Path to Agility. Hello, gentlemen. Great to have you. Good to be here. So we've we've taken to opening the shows with what are your superpowers, secret or otherwise published? Seth, you get to go first. Well, I could steal one from my brother, which is uh, night speed, the ability to run really, really fast only at night. I think it's because we're both big guys. We can both kind of do that. But I have um, some superpowers in the in the area of product as well, I'd like to think, which is being able to empathize with customers and and really talk about their pain and try to feel that for myself and translate that into some good solutions. David Hawks, your secret superpowers. I'm sure I run really fast in the dark as well when nobody can see me. <laughs> nobody can see you. Uh, but uh, I would say in, as, as pat- pattern matching. Hmm. I, I find that I have a knack for connecting the dots quickly, seeing how things, one thing can cause something else somewhere else in a system and making, doing some sense making around that. Let's see if we can make some sense out of the main thread today that we want to weave through. And that is navigating the enterprise scale transformation journey. And before we, we jump too deeply in, for those who may not have heard of you yet, David. Can you give us a quick headline tour of your journey? How you got here? Sure. Uh, came, came up through the developer ranks and um, found Agile along the way. Uh, I wouldn't say that we were doing good Agile early on, but we figured, figured things out. And then uh, around 2010, I kind of stumbled into this career as a Agile coach and trainer company hired me to help them scale more in a leadership way. And, and uh, next thing I knew I was coaching them on agile practices. And I was like, this is kind of fun. I'm not half bad at it. Maybe I can make a career around this. And uh, then agile velocity was born around 2010. And uh, then we got pretty hyper-focused a few years in into the transformation, agile transformation space. And uh, about what six years ago, Path to Agility was born, and and then we've we since uh, built a product around that. So we've got both the services side of the organization and Agile Velocity, and the product side with Path to Agility. What, what were some of the the, the I want to say growing pains or birthing pains uh, that produced P to A six seven years ago? Yeah, I guess connecting to the kind of pattern matching. It, you know, something we didn't see early on, but as we started doing, working with more and more clients and and large clients at scale, we started to see a lot of the same. While every company is unique, everybody's got a lot of the same problems and struggling with the same things. And so, um, so we started to kind of harvest out what were the patterns in how we were approaching transformation, but there is no one size fits all. So how do we... How do we provide a solution that helps people? The f- first problem we ran into is people thinking, 
all right, I just need to educate everybody. Can you just come train me and then we'll be agile? So we needed something that helps convey the journey they're on and Path to Agility helps uh, lay out that, that journey, but also give them a flexible journey that given what they're struggling with, they can start to piece that together because you can't go from zero to hundred mile an hour agile overnight. And so um, that was one thing. And then the other big pattern we are seeing is leaders were calling to hire us and thinking, hey, we need to do agile, so come train my teams, right? They were solely focused on the team level and not thinking about the system, systemic impacts, the organizational, cultural impacts and managing that change. So, so it's both thinking about things at a team level and also at a more holistic organizational level. When, when PDA started that six or seven years ago, where, where did you start? Leadership, team? Was it clear at that point? Do you, do you even remember version 0.1? I, I have, I was up in, uh, you know, our physical office, which is such a weird concept anymore. Um, you know, cleaning, cleaning out my physical office actually to get things at home. And I found some of the old artifacts, um, which was, which is a little bit of a history lesson for myself. Um, the first was really just more of a model, right? When we introduced the stages of align, learn, predict, accelerate, and adapt, um, map those to kind of a satire change curve, just again, helping people with a mental model, helping the leaders understand what it is that they're embarking on. And I knew that that, that model, the first one was like a pyramid that didn't stick. Um, but once we got to the stages and the and kind of the satire curve on it, I knew that one stuck because we were in the sales process with the prospect. We went over it, and then we ended up winning the deal. And when we came in to the, the to like the first day on site, I saw that diagram on every whiteboard across the the office. So you could tell it like stuck and resonated with the leaders enough that then they could convey the journey to their teams, to their people of, hey, here's what's gonna happen and here's what we're embarking on. And so um, that, was, that was the first part. And then there was a, a side thing that was happening with one of our coaches that kind of reverse engineered the scrum guide into a set of cards that we could visualize on a wall, like just taking, you know, saying, hey, we're here to coach you to help you implement a product owner, sprint planning, product backlog and they created cards with acceptance criteria for all of the things we were helping them do, all the practices. And that happened in parallel. And ultimately all that came has come together into what we know now with Path to Agility that has over a hundred, a, a capability model of over a hundred capabilities um, across a bunch of different outcomes that we're trying to achieve in the overall map that we're doing. So all, there was multiple things happening in parallel that then all of that kind of culminated into the product that we have now. Yeah, let's, we'll circle back on to some of these terminologies, these practices, capabilities for the listening audience that may not be deeply familiar with us. We'll also put in show notes. I, I think we have a podcast or two about some courses that are available and I'll link them to Seth, product guy. What's been your, your journey? Your track. 
Yeah. So I've been brought on uh, Path to Agility to help build out capabilities around this already robust approach that David was speaking of. But a lot of the experiences I've had uh, in the past have helped prepare me for this role. So I've got 14 years of technology experience, and I've really oscillated between doing consulting for large organizations and then being a product lead for startups and bringing new products to market. And my educational background is in psychology. So I've always been fascinated at about people in general, just understanding people. And I think I've been able to parlay that into trying to understand how people solve problems with technology. So as a product person, when I get up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, the thing I'm really focused on and thinking about is how to solve problems with technology. So the last company I was at, for instance, they dealt with dentists. And my main job was to just understand what's difficult about running a dental practice. But, you know, for dentists, it, they tend to own small businesses. There's a lot of private practices and stuff. And um, dentists, though, they're experts in teeth, not being the CEO of a small business. Right. right. And it's 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 way more difficult to do those things that you're not an expert in and you weren't trained in. And so like dental insurance is really difficult and they have to become an expert in that when all they learned about in schooling was teeth. So we built software to help with that pain point. So I became an expert in the pain that the dentist had in dental practices, but not necessarily in every aspect of being a dentist. Um, <laughs> pain with dental practice. I, I know right. our listeners are cringing right now. Well, when, yeah, we think of going to the dentist as the painful thing, but they have pain too. So, um, But I really enjoyed that job because I got to help transform a small organization. We took this installed antiquated dental software and made it into a cloud SaaS platform. We did a DevOps transformation. We did an agile transformation in addition to the product stuff that we did. And so those kind of experiences have, have really helped me just in general, look at a problem and figure out what can we do to, to solve that? And I'm really passionate about using software to make things efficient and effective. And I'm passionate about the mission of helping inter enterprises change for the better. And I, I read somewhere that passion shows up in unusual ways, uh, particularly around product launches that you'll go to, shall we say, great lengths to make a product launch successful. Can you spill a little bit uh, yeah. for our listeners? So there was a feature at that company where we were doing dental software that was called web-based history. And it allowed dentists to see their dental claim history anywhere, right? Like on a plane, in a train, in the car, at the bar, whatever. So I was brainstorming with the dev team about how to get excitement up for, for this feature to release within the organization and show all these capabilities that we had. And we had, were doing normal sprint reviews and demos and releasing all the time. So I wanted this one to stand out more. So because the word history was in there, they decided the best policy would be for me to dress up as a historical figure. The exact idea was get everyone in a room, have a dramatic movie trailer about the new feature play. And then I was supposed to come into the room. Oh, there's supposed to be a smoke machine. That part wasn't in, in the real, we couldn't get that approved. But I was <laughs> supposed to come in the room dressed as Benjamin Franklin, ringing a bell and proclaiming, hear ye, hear ye about the new web history feature. Now, if you ever plan to use this technique when you're when you're releasing software, make sure that it's really stellar because it's, the rest of the meeting is a big letdown. <laughs> yes, it is. 
dressed as Benjamin Franklin ringing a bell. But in this case, we delivered. People loved the new new feature. And then I was referred to as Ben for years or sometimes founding father uh-huh. uh, in meetings. So it worked out well. Let's let's weave things back together a little bit about pain, but let's bring it back to the pain in the enterprise market in regard to this transformation journey. Toss up question. So what are some of the pain points we're seeing at scale that we need to re- respond to? So one of the things that I've been doing is uh, as part of my role, meeting with a lot of the different personas that are involved with the transformation and doing some interviews over the last six months just to try to understand, you know, given that, that we have this approach towards transformation, what are some of the things that could be better and help this to work at scale? And what are some of the trends and things that would, would impact this? So one of the trends that we've seen is a move towards internal coaching. Mm-hmm. And it comes from a realization that maybe Agile isn't just a light switch that you turn on and there's this external agency that comes in and fixes that problem. It's something that needs ongoing care and feeding. So it's not necessarily apparent on day one, but those transformations that have started and had some success, but now need to scale. um, That's where I've spent a lot of the last six months is talking to to folks who are in that predicament. And so some of the things, and I'll I'll throw these out and, and David, hopefully you can also add some color commentary, but Assessments in general is, is a difficult area. The, the purpose of an assessment is, in, in a lot of times, is to see where you are, to make sure that everything in the transformation is going uh, well and that you know what to do next. But what we've seen is with assessments, there's a lot of survey fatigue. There's lack of participation. There's a problem with trying to do ongoing assessments to figure that out. And in addition, there's a disconnect between the process of doing assessments and the other things that happen, like the actions that are actually taken, the metrics, the coaching, the training, all those things aren't necessarily brought together through that assessment process. And so the assessments happen, but they don't necessarily answer the most important questions, which are, what do we need to be looking at next? What do we need to prioritize? How do we need to focus? I think building on that, I. I think both of those are happening because at, you know, scale, you know, when you've got an enterprise of 5,000 people in technology that are trying to transform or, you know, once you get over thousand and you've got so many different groups that are transforming, well, first they don't all transform at once. So therefore it, it takes time. It doesn't take months. It takes years. And I think that's part of why going, oh, well, we can't rely on an outside consultant for years. We need to build some of our own internal capability. That's one of the things we've always prided ourselves as a, as a consultancy is to say, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. We're trying to enable others within the organization and we encourage organizations to build in, internal capability. Well, while they're building internal capability, that they're not necessarily able to go hire like the cream of the crop enterprise agile coaches out there necessarily like the, you know, they're people that are passionate and learning and somewhere along their journey, they might hire some external, they might build some internal. Um, and, and so now you're at scale where you have so many different coaches 
that the question is, are we doing things consistently? How do we ensure that we're doing things consistently? And then the progress or assessment aspects come out of, well, how do I know that all these efforts that we're doing and all this energy that we're putting into it are actually reaping rewards? What's happening? What progress, you know, how do I see progress across all of these different groups, across potentially thousands of people that are being impacted? How do I visualize that? Because there's somebody in the organization that's got some budget that they're trying to keep approving because historically we haven't had a team of coaches. How do I keep how do I keep fighting for the budget every year that I need this team? And what is this team doing and what value is this team providing? Um, and and that that's part of where I think a lot of the, the types of tooling and stuff come into play is to help defend that value proposition. I want to dive into the word consistency. We had a conversation not too long ago on the podcast. I think it was with Richard about centralized versus decentralized and consistency can mean different things to other people. So David, in, in your context, a consistent approach, unpack that for us. What does that mean? Yes, I would say there's definitely things that, <clears throat> you know, agile, we want to make sure we're empowering people closest to the work to do the best, to figure out the best solution for them. But at scale, there are times when you need to make decisions about things that we need to standardize on, right? So there's, there's, uh, some decisions that could be how we plan or roll up progress or other things that, you know, we're going to use, the, we're all going to use the same tool. We're all going to, you know, uh, enter, have the same definition of epics and stories or, you know, could be things like that, that are choices that could be made if there's a need for that connection at a higher level. Take another organization where there's five different groups and they don't really interact very much, well, maybe those five groups could do things very differently because there's not a roll up that need, right? And, and that empowering could happen. And then and that's in, in the practices themselves and how we work. And then there's the approach to transformation and thinking about how are we able to look at, um, so we're big believers on you shouldn't assess practices. Like what we don't want to assess is, are you doing daily scrums? Do you do retros, right? Do you have a product owner? Do you have a scrum master? You know, the, the, those, those will tell you that people are maybe going through the motions, but it doesn't tell you that they're any more agile in their delivery, right? It doesn't mean they're getting any better results. It just tells you they're doing all the things, right? And, and so what we want to assess is we encourage people to assess, are you creating the capabilities that all those practices promise? So if we think, let's unpack like retrospectives. So, all right, if somebody says, hey, Scrum Master, are y'all doing retrospectives? Yep, we, we get together 30 minutes every two weeks and we, we just complain to each other, right? Well, the question, the capability is, is the team continuously improving? right? And that's what we want to measure. Is the team getting better? How do you know that the team's getting better? A retrospective on every two weeks may be a mechanism or a practice that might help you, but it doesn't necessarily mean just because we show up every two weeks that we're actually getting better. So we want to assess at the capability level. 
um, or we encourage people to assess at that at that keep you know what what are the capabilities you're trying to achieve in your organization to achieve what outcomes what's what's the why behind your you're doing all this transformation work in the first place yeah and on that point just in terms of pain points at at the highest of high levels those executives are most likely most interested in the resultant business outcomes, not the practices. And so the pain point that maps to that is, are we actually getting better from a bit as a business? What are some of those business outcomes that are measurable that make the executives pay attention at scale? When you, particularly when looking at time at quarters to years. Yeah, I'll, I'll provide some interesting information of how the so we do, we, we have nine business outcomes that we engage all of every engagement, all the leaders to ask and within Path to Agility to say, all right, what do you, what do you, what's the number one reason why you're introducing change? Um, and they, you know, speed, predictability, customer sad, employee engagement, innovation, uh, quality, predictability, productivity. Um, and I think I've missed one, but we, so we ask them and we say, pick, pick two or three of these as your reason why you would change. What's interesting is before COVID, speed was, you know, speed and customer sat were probably the, 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 the top two that, that showed up all the time. Speed, speed, we, you know, this, this kind of notion of we've got great ideas, we just need to get them out. The, the blocker is that we're not getting, or, you know, we're not getting stuff done fast enough. Right. And there's this thought that this uh, bias towards we have brilliant ideas. The bottleneck is our delivery teams can't get enough work done. Right. Then COVID hit. So what do you think surfaced as the number one thing after COVID was market responsiveness. Right. It was no longer speed. Now it was we need to respond quicker to what the market is dictating because the market just shifted and pulled a you know, total 180 on us. And all of a sudden, market responsiveness became the number one thing that, that leaders were picking. And then a year later, in 2021, all of a sudden, innovation became the number one thing. And, um, and, and I, my, my hypothesis behind that is the market is leaving us behind. We need to come up with new innovative ideas because we've lost, we've lost part of our market. Right? We need to create new products because we need to regain market share or create a new market share. Um, and I, my prediction for 2022 is that by the end of the year, employee engagement is going to surface as the number one thing with the great resignation. And the difficulty in hiring people yeah, and exactly. work-life integration and all these things that have surfaced and uh, are, are you know, the tip of the iceberg. And so that those are the conversations that we want to have early on with leaders and, and, and continuously quarter over quarter. And we ask them, you know, to kind of frame it like, all right, I know you want all these things, but what is the most important in the next three to six months? Like, what is the focusing thing that we need to do from a change initiative perspective? Um, and and then that helps us determine, okay, here's what capabilities we would need. If, if we're after speed, then what are the capabilities we need to achieve speed? Or if we're after market responsiveness or innovation or employee engagement, then, then let's figure out what capability we're trying to develop. And then let's measure and uh, continuously assess how we're doing in achieving that capability. 
Um, and then lastly, look at our scrum frameworks to determine what practices might help us, right? Is Scrum going to help us? Is Kanban going to help us? Is Safe going to help us? Is Less going to help us? What, what are the practices we would need to implement in order to achieve you know, that capability? So you gave us a nice overview of those, those business outcomes. Can you give us an example or two that illustrates this idea of a agile capability that ties back to some business, uh, measurable business outcome? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned kind of the one like at a team level around retrospectives, right? The capability of uh, team level improvement, right? Being a capability. Um, but but getting let's let's move a little bit further down, um, you know, reducing cycle time could be a capability that a team is getting to. Right. They have the capability to get a feature, you know, build a story, get a feature, you know, get a feature deployed faster, right? That could be uh, a capability. Something more system organizational level could be um, like around the ability to uh, create, you know, maybe at a portfolio level could be like creating focus in the organization, right? Do we have the ability to focus and prioritize our, our big level initiatives? Right, limiting like you know, limiting whip becomes a, a a potential practice or solution. But the capability that we actually are uh, sequencing and creating focus um, is something that we can measure. Um, you know, you know, we can measure like, are we working on twenty things at once, or are we working on five things at once? Right? Are we are we really doing it? So that those would be some things um, that that ultimately could drive back up to you know, some, some of those business outcomes like reducing you know, or, or speed or getting more predictable, like, you know, getting, getting a, a system level predictability, like getting, being able to get features out the door um, or for something like employee engagement could be um, the connection or the capability of like teams truly understanding their purpose and connecting with their purpose and, and being motivated by that. We mentioned assessment and visualization and progress. Our listening audience is aware of a number of tools out there, some of them um, more popular than others. Agility Health Radar, Lean Agile Intelligence, Comparative Agility, what else? So we've got, uh, I'm going to show my bias here, Path to Agility. What are some of the end user needs that these solutions are attempting to address? Assessment, visualization, but it's got to be more than that. So one of the things I would say is there's there's a strong trend towards, well, first of all, t- just taking a step back, what is the purpose of assessment, right? So well, these tools all have some construct of assessment, but assessment isn't always towards the same end necessarily. In some cases, it might be, well, I want to assess every agile practice possible and compare it to the entire industry and see how we stack up and compare that. Um, And I think based on what we talked about earlier, outcome focus would say that's not necessarily useful. Um, Although, you know, some tools uh, allow for those those kind of capabilities. I think the the more compelling capability is to be able to see where you are, prioritize and and then drive you towards those areas where you are are 
prioritizing. So in the areas of priority, how are we doing? And then what do we need to do next in order to move forward? And that's a little bit more rare within this set of tools to have that entire picture in place. Um, and I think that we've all been assessed before and gotten a report card or something. And the, the lowest grade is always what we focus on. And it's like, this is the area we can improve. But if it's not the area of priority, if it isn't the next step within a transformation journey, then maybe it's not the area of focus. So one of those user needs is to really be able to determine based on uh, that assessment data, what should we be doing? We have a bunch of areas of opportunity, but which one should we select? Right, which, which it goes back to like the whole sense-making aspect, right? If I got, you know, 10 agile coaches in a room and said, you know, given an engagement and said, what's, what's the next thing we should do? I probably would get 10 different answers easily. And, and those 10 things are probably all good things, right? It's not like any of them are going to say something bad, but there's just so many different agile things that we could do. And everybody's got a little bit of their own biasing towards their favorite, you know, framework or their favorite, you know, way of working or, you know, whatever that might be, you know, hey, I did this with these teams once and these teams were high performing. I want to do that again. The, what Path to Agility and Path to Agility Navigator helps with is being able to make sense of, all right, given the business outcome that I'm trying to achieve, given the assessment data of my current state, then mapping that on and, you know, pun intended with the path to agility, right? Mapping that to then see, okay, what's the right next step, right? Given, given our current state, given our future, future target, what is the right path to getting there and helping people make sense of that path? Because again, there, there are almost an infinite number of next steps in the, you know, there's so many different agile things that we, in the, in the, in the, 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 all, all the documentation and all the different, at this point, there's a bazillion agile practices that we could choose from. How do I know what are the right ones for right now? And, and that was something I learned on the first engagement I ever had was I had teams as a leader that had, you know, figured agile out and had really high performing agile teams. And then I went in and was doing that consulting where I said I was, you know, not bad at it. And it was kind of fun. And, but what I made a mistake looking back at it is I saw them and I assessed, Hey, y'all are at like 10 mile an hour agile and I've seen hundred mile an hour agile and let's go right now. And, and I realized like, I can't, you can't take them from 10 to hundred. They got to go from like 10 to 20, 20 to 40, 40 to 60. And 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 like learn some things that I had learned, you know, in my seven year journey before that, that they needed to experience for themselves and needed to evolve within that environment and and ultimately get there. And so that's what we're trying to help people see is that is that journey and and make sure they're putting the right building blocks and foundational things in place so that they can you know, get from kind of a learning stage and we're just kind of going through the motions to getting to a, a truly high, high performing uh, acceleration kind of stage. Yeah. And an assessment in a vacuum isn't, isn't well positioned to do that because at the beginning of a transformation, if you score poorly on 75 percent 
of the metrics, there's, there's not a lot of guidance about how to focus and you can't do all those things at once. You covered a broad range of potential end users. David, you talked about being at the team level. Yeah, I've got one great team. And then another perspective of now I'm at a enterprise transformation leader. Are, the, are these tools that are out there, the solutions exist, clearly targeting uh, a particular persona? They're trying to cover multiple personas. And similarly, P2A, NAV, who, who are some of the target market? So at, in some of those tools, it's the the adoption and usage and use cases are very team focused. There are other aspects to the tools, but a lot of the adoption is at the team level. And um, from that perspective, I mean, we look at it as a very um, holistic transformation in terms of, of the way the path to agility is laid out. And then the connectivity to um, all the pieces and parts of an efficient transformation. But the, I mean, there's definitely, depending on the tool, different audiences for different parts of the tool. And there's different offerings from those companies that would target those different personas. Um, but I definitely would say that there's more team focus in general in, the, in those tools than looking at a holistic transformation. Same apply for Navigator? So one of the things that I've done is spend a lot of time with transformation leaders to understand from an executive perspective what that persona would want out of a transformation and really helping external coaches communicate with that executive persona. And so from a transformation leader perspective, one of the things they want to know is if the transformation dollars they're spending are well spent. What's the ROI? Want to know that actions that are happening in the organization and how they actually impact business outcomes. I had an executive say, quote, I don't know if we're doing anything here after seeing a red score, you know, on a different assessment. I can see that we're not doing well, but I don't know what we're doing to address it, right? So that disconnect. So they want that connection to say, I'm putting dollars in and here's the ROI that I'm getting for it and be able to justify the transformation in those terms that everyone can understand. And then I think the external consultant wants to be able to operationalize certain aspects of the change so that it's not reinventing the wheel every time and communicate and get buy-in both upward and downward within the organization so that it's very, that the accountability down to the team for doing the actions is there. And then we can say to the executive, here's what we did and here's the impact. Yeah, and I think, I think the path to agility, you know, as I've shared it with coaches internal or external, you know, a lot of times the response I get is I've had a mental model. This aligns well with it. I've just not been able to codify it in the way that we have. Right. Mm. And, and so, you know, what we found is that it resonates really well with a lot of coaches in a way that they can instantly turn it into a tool in their toolbox as a way of communicating, you know, prior to Path to Agility or without something like Path to Agility, what I found is us as coaches, we would walk in and we would say, you know, um, hey, we're here to we're here to agile you, right? You know, I mean, we wouldn't say install the, the agile, but like you hired us to to help you with agile. We're here to help you with agile, and then they're like, what are you going to do? And we're gonna we're gonna coach you. 
and and they're like, what the hell are you going to do? We're going to coach you, right? And and well, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to sense and 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 respond. We're going to look at where you are, and then we're going to figure out what the next steps are. We're going to approach it in an agile, iterative, and incremental way. And every two weeks, we're going to identify a backlog of the next things that we should change. Which I think about the way that we explain that to leaders. And before Path to Agility, I would say every leader bought our services based on hope, right? Like, I hope this guy knows what the heck he's doing, right? But like, we weren't effective at communicating what it is that we're really here to do. And, and I think Path to Agility helps, again, with us communicating, hey, here, here are the things that we're here to help you with. Here, we're going to help. We are arming with the change leaders within these organizations with the intelligence to lead their own change, right? So one of the biggest impacts we've seen with Path to Agility is leaders taking ownership of their own change initiative faster than ever because they can make sense of it, even though they've never experienced it before, right? We put all that experience of here's what happens in an agile transformation and made it out loud and made it a tool that they can, they can use. So coaches can leverage it in communicating with their change leaders they're working with change leaders can leverage it and everybody's talking the same language without the advantage of visuals since this is a podcast talk us through some of the ways that those pain points leaders adopting buying in being able to focus on where to go next how are you addressing that so given that we don't have visuals there's this this analogy that comes to mind uh, i think we've all gone into the mall and looked at, at the map in the mall and it says, you are here, right? There's a star on there and and then there's the rest of the map. You see the rest of the map and it tells what's a, you- What's a mall, Seth? A mall, <laughs> it's an antiquated <laughs> idea, yeah. But but you can see you know, every everywhere within that mall that you would wanna go. So if you came to the mall for shoes and that's the journey that you need to go on, you can look and see, well, here's where I am and here's where I wanna go. And so we want to build software that will allow you to do that. Not just give you the you are here, but also here's all the places you can go and, and we can help you get to the place that you want to go. It's just like a transformation. We start at different points and have different places we want to go, right? Different business outcomes that are most important, different industries, different markets. There's differences. So we're looking at a transformation as something that's a continuous improvement cycle and we want to make sure you understand where you are on that, where you want to go and how to get there. So we have this cycle that we've defined, which starts with evaluation, trying to understand where you are, knowing that dot that you're at, being able to visualize that in terms of a map, just like the mall map and say, where on this do I want to go? What outcomes am I trying to get to and what things on this map will help me? And where do I need to focus? And then being able to drill and analyze to see actions that are associated with that, impediments, get down into those deep practices and trainings and things like that that need to happen in support of it, um, but then bubble up to those outcomes. And then also the ability to prioritize actions based off of that. So now we see what we've prioritized and what's important based on our outcomes. We need to take actions in those areas. And once we take those actions, when we get back to evaluate, it becomes much easier because we know that we've 
we focused our magnifying glass in on that store in the mall map that we're going to, and we just need to make sure we're following that path. We don't need to think about the whole thing right now. We just need to, to connect those dots. And so when we take those actions, hopefully we, we met those goals and got to that point, we can reevaluate in a targeted way and then continue that cycle. I'm curious about time, the cycle time to change, particularly with the pressure that we're feeling everywhere in today's world. Faster, faster, faster. What do you see? And I would say that in today's world of everybody's distributed, transformation is slower, slower, slower. You know, so (laughs) because it's just, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about shifting mindset which is represented in the culture that emerges across the organization, right? The culture is a result of the behaviors. We're not observing very many behaviors, right? Like we're not organically observing behaviors by sitting in an office, seeing other people, seeing how people respond, um, truly understanding emotions that somebody just got out of a meeting and they're, they're almost to tears, right? Like people hang up Zoom and nobody knows that somebody is having a really rough day, right? Like we are not connected in that way. So it takes a lot longer for the data to come back when we try something new or when we're, you know, or, or for a behavior to become propagated, right? You know, like, like we're, we want to reward the right type of thing. And so you know, we saw this even before COVID. We had clients before that were fully distributed, and we found that transformations were would take about twice as long. And we're definitely seeing a similar thing in in a, a post COVID uh, time. It just it takes longer for you to, especially at scale, right? To turn you know to turn the, the aircraft carrier, right? So, so the question becomes: How do we maintain momentum? And, and one of the things we've had a lot of conversation about recently is, is all right, find, find the little wins, propagate the, big, the wins into bigger things, right? Like how do we, again, back to visualization, how do we visualize what's happening and recognize that there is progress being made, even if it's, it's, it's smaller little things that are, that are building up, right? Um, otherwise, it can just you know, the change initiative can just wear out, right? Um, and so we got to figure out ways that the visualization and kind of the progress and, and, and making sure that we're, we're understanding where, where we are winning, where we are making, you know, headway, where, what are we learning from that? How are we sharing? How are we communicating? And all the mechanisms for, for doing that. Yeah, one other point I would make is the, the last stage in the path to agility is adapt, and that's something that's continuous, right? So there's always going to be change. And, and so we like to refer to transformation, which kind of implies the butterfly style, where at the end, yay, you're in a hatch butterfly and you fly out. But it's really an ongoing journey because the market will continue to change as, as COVID really brought to light, but those things will continue to happen. And so the ability to have that ongoing continuous improvement and care and feeding of agility in your organization is really important. Yeah. I'm curious about the level of adoption without mentioning specific client names. Tell us some more of what you're seeing in the field, successes as well as challenges. Yeah. So one of the things 
that with anything that you're trying to roll out from a change perspective is stickiness, right? So I could come in on, on the first day and say, hey, we're gonna all do this survey and get everybody to do it. And then as we continue to try to do that, it becomes more and more difficult, especially if you can't connect it to the other things that are going on. And so that ongoing stickiness is something that we can use software to help with. And that's one of our goals is to, to help these things be actively managed because the, the reality is a transformation is difficult and you're going to have to manage it anyway. And everything in, in an organization has to be managed. And there's always tools to help automate it at scale. You know, the finance team has all their automation for finance and the HR team has ways to, you know, to manage that. And so for transformation, all that work associated with it, it becomes more sticky when that becomes easy and efficient. And so that's what we've really tried to do is make it so that it's much easier to do it this way than to try to do it via a spreadsheet or to try to do it outside of a tool. And that there's mechanisms in place that drive you to continue to do it. You know, if, it, if your actions are connected to your assessments, there's an inherent accountability in those being connected. Um, and one of the things that we've seen is through customers, for instance, being able to share this information radiator in a way that executives can share it with another executive and say, here's how we're doing and drill in and show all the pieces and parts of it in a way they haven't been able to do. And that creates a level of buy-in from the top that drives to, okay, we need to continue to use this because we need to show that progress because that is where we're getting the buy-in by putting it all together and simplifying it and saying, here's a picture of our transformation. Yeah, I mean, building on that goes back to, again, a model that is digestible in a way so that the leaders can own their own transformation. And part of owning their own transformation is communicating their own transformation, right? And so we had a, a sponsor who took the visualization of their transformation, communicated that up to their, their executive team, and 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 they were over the moon with how that was received, but it was more importantly, they were able to communicate it, right? Like they were able to communicate something that, that other, you know, people in the organization could grok, could understand and, and could, could take action from that. Right. And to highlight, sometimes it might be even highlighting, Hey, we're blocked here. And this is where we, and we need your help executive, right? Like you're, you're part of the problem here, right? Or, hey, our teams are doing good, but organizationally, these are the things that are in our way. Um, so getting that level of, again, visualization and then ownership, because at the end of the day, we want those leaders to own their transformation, not us coaches, right? It's not, it's not, it's not for us to own, right? It's for us to enable and empower them to be successful. And it brings us back to something you said earlier. It's not just a team adventure. Mm-hmm. It's not just tools, processes, and practices. We're nearing the end of our time. I want to give you both a chance to share some upcoming events, give some shout outs, share any offers that you have. What's what's coming down the pike? Well, for me, we're reentering, uh, you know, conference season. And so this summer we're, we're going to be at Scrum Gathering Agile 2022 and uh, safe summit um, so path to agility will have a booth there and uh, at, at all three of those events and so if you're in denver nashville or denver 
uh, come come by and say hi. We're doing the loop. And a few things for me. I'd be glad to spend time with you showing you the approach and tools. If you want to reach out to us to info at pettoagility.com. We're wanting to offer some free access as well to listeners of this podcast to be able to view exclusive content within Pat to Agility Navigator. So we're going to have some details in the show notes, but you'll be able to go to www.p2anav.com slash sign up and enter the code Agile Uprising. And that free account will have access to some exciting features within NAV, such as exclusive video content and an interactive map that lets you explore the path to agility content to learn more about how this approach could help you with your next transformation. And then you can always visit pathtoagility.com for more information about the approach, case studies, testimonials, fill out the form to get more information, etc. Shout out to you, Andy. You're awesome. And David and all the other coaches who have given me time, learned a lot over these these last several months and appreciate being able to be here. You still have your Ben Franklin hat? <laughs> yeah, it's a wig, but yeah. <laughs> bringing that to Denver slash Nashville, Denver. Will do. Thanks again to our guests and to you, our listening audience. We'll put all those URLs and codes into show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, share it. Give us a review, a rating, or leave a comment. It helps others find us. If it's your first time tuning in, subscribe. If you'd like to join your fellow compatriots on a Discord service and talk about trials and tribulations of transformation at scale, visit us at agileuprising.com or take a look at the show notes once again for a link to our Discord server. Finally, support from listeners just like you help us cover our hosting and podcast costs. See the show notes for details, how you can become a patron and get some nice swag. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out.